Fantastic. Right, if you've got a Bible, turn it on uh, or open it up. We're back in Daniel chapter 3. This is uh, the second part in a a two-part message that I began last month, exploring our theme for the year, which is unshakable, and that God wants us to have an unshakable faith. And uh, and so we've been thinking about uh, the five hallmarks of an unshakable faith. Or I've called it a multi-sensory unshakable faith because you can feel it, you can hear it, you can see it, you can taste it, and you can even smell it. Like when you see and experience unshakable faith, and that's what God wants for every single one of us in this house. Whether you feel like you're being shaken or not, there is an unshakable faith for you which holds you like an anchor and allows you to live in the reality of these three truths we talked about. That yes, we admit it's true, life is hard, it's difficult, it's painful, it's agonizing. True? True. And yet, in the midst of all the hardships and the struggles of life, we believe, we've heard it, that God is good. That he loves us, that he cares about us, and he's at work even when we don't realize it, and he promises to bring us through. And because of that truth, we choose the second truth. We discover the second truth, which is this. I'm okay. Life is hard. God is good. So I am okay. It is well with my soul. And so that's the place that God wants to grow us in this year in the midst of any shaking that we're going through. And so we've been looking at this story in Daniel chapter 3 of these three guys, these Jewish boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they find themselves in a a serious spot of life-endangering trouble. They are in big, big trouble. And if you remember the story in, in Daniel 3, I'm not going to read it from the beginning, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, he's uh, erected a, a 90-foot-high statue, and, and basically he gathers all his leaders together, including Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he says to them, when you hear the royal orchestra play, everyone bow down and worship the statue, i.e. really worship him, worship Nebuchadnezzar. And, and then to motivate them, to do this, he says, oh, and if you don't bow, I will immediately throw you into a burning furnace. So they were highly motivated, everyone, to do this. It was kind of like bow or burn. Like, "Mm, let me think about that for a little while. So uh, the orchestra plays, everyone gets down on the floor, heads down, bums in the air, everyone's bowing except Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They are followers and worshippers of the one true God. They're not bowing to anyone but him and so it's pretty obvious that they stand up and they stand together which was the first uh, sense of multi-sensory unshakable faith that it feels like friendship and we talked about before that like if we are going to endure press on keep going and growing in our faith we need each other we need each other we're all in this together if you're going to grow a resilient unshakable faith then you need to do that in partnership with other people, friends and family and others. That's why we gather in, 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 in these gatherings, in church at home, in huddles. We lean in because we're honest enough to recognize we need each other. It feels like friendship. And then... Uh, uh, the king is, is raging about this and he basically calls these three guys to the front and, uh, and then you can pick up the story in verses 16 and 18 uh, where he says to them again, guys, you obviously didn't understand the instructions 
And so we need you to bow down when the music plays. This is not musical statues. This is musical bowing. And, uh, and I'll give you one more chance. But if you don't do this, you are in the furnace. And this is, I'm going to read it again because their response was amazing. Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you because if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But, and this is unshakable faith, even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Unshakable faith feels like friendship and it sounds like courage. That's what we talked about last time. It has a sound where you're willing to boldly declare, I am prepared to hold on to God when it's hard and, and, and I will do what God says even if I don't understand it or even if I don't like it which is what these guys are prepared to do. A faith that speaks out courage. I'm holding on to God. I believe that God's got me regardless. And so we pick up the story this time in verses 19. This is what the happens next. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. And then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the burning furnace. So they tied them up, threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants and turbans and robes and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames even killed the soldiers as they threw the men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. Fell into the roaring flames. Here's the third hallmark, the multi-sensory, unshakable faith. It looks like faith. It feels like friendship. It sounds like courage, and it looks like faith. Now, of course, you might say, I could have said, it feels like faith, or it sounds like faith, but actually the reality is faith is a doing thing. It's an active thing. Faith isn't something that you feel. You actually do it. It's active. It looks like faith. You see it. You don't just feel it in your heart. You live it out. And that's what these guys do. They're willing to put their faith into action by putting themselves in a place where they're completely on God. It looks like faith. It's, it's stepping out. There's a story in Matthew chapter 14 where Jesus' disciples are in the middle of the night. They're in a stormy boat. Church at home, we're going to study this next week, this story. So here's a little, little thought from it already for you. And, uh, and there's a massive storm and the, and the storm is raging. And Jesus comes out on the water, walking on the, the stormy waters. And Peter says to Jesus... Jesus, if that's really you walking on the waters, then tell me to come. And Peter says, come. And notice what uh, Jesus says, come. And notice what Peter then does not do. He does not say in that story, as you'll look next week, okay, I'll come, Lord, but tell me I won't drown. I'll, I'll come, Lord, but tell me I'll be okay. Tell me that if I take a step of faith out onto these stormy waters, promise me that everything will be okay. That is not faith. Faith steps out, puts yourself in a place of risk, a place of being on God without knowing what the outcome is going to be. And that's the place 
that we find these guys in that I'm going to step out. I'm going to do what God says. I'm going to hold on to him even if he doesn't come through. I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but I will act in faith. Now, years and years ago, in my 20s, I used to work for the mobile phone company that's now everything everywhere. And when I was there, it was one-to-one. Anyone old enough to remember one-to-one? Some of you are. This is like nearly 30 years ago. And, um, and by my mid-20s, I was doing really, really well. I had a company car and all my petrol paid for and bonus schemes and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and, and my second company car was a beautiful big Ford Galaxy, a big people carrier, beautiful dark blue thing. I loved it. It was like driving an aeroplane. It was so, so nice. And, um, and on one particular occasion, I, um, the young people of our church, we all went to St. Paul's Church in Letchworth because they were doing a big uh, countywide youth event. And a whole bunch of us went with some of our youth leaders and got to the end of the evening. And some of our young people needed a ride home and we didn't have enough cars. But one of my young leaders, who was kind of late teens, early 20s, he had literally just in the last month passed his test, which was, I thought, well, great. So I said to him, you know, why don't you uh, get in the car? You take a whole bunch of people back to Christchurch Car Park, because this was before we even had a building, and uh, you drop them off, their parents will pick them up, and, uh, and then come back, and then we can bring, bring the rest. So he was like, oh, great. You know, he, he was quite excited about this prospect. And uh, anyway, uh, he went off, and it was ages before he came back, like a really long time. And so eventually he did turn up and he was clearly troubled. I looked at his face and he was clearly troubled because there'd been a little accident in Christchurch car park because he dropped off the kids and, uh, and that, that was all kind of fine. And, 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 then, and then he reversed in Christchurch park park at speed into a lamppost. And now the back of my beautiful car was V-shaped, people. It was V-shaped, and he was, uh, he was uh, not feeling great. But I said, don't worry, it's a company car. It will all be claimed on the insurance. Don't worry, it's, as long as everyone was okay, and they were, you know, it's, it's all going to be fine. And so the next morning, that was on a Sunday night. The next morning, I'm, I'm driving to church. Uh, I'm driving to work in Borenwood, and I suddenly have this thought. What if there are any conditions that I hadn't checked for my company car about how long people need to be driving before they can drive the company car. And as I'm driving, it's a 45-minute journey, I get this sense of impending doom. Have I just made a terrible mistake? And so I arrive at my desk, and I turn my computer on, and I find the policy, and there in the policy it says, drivers of company cars, to be insured, to be eligible to drive, have to be driving for more than two years. And I don't know if you've ever had the experience where you can literally feel the blood drain from your body. I literally started to feel very faint. I wanted to vomit and throw up. I thought, oh, no. Now what? And, of course, I knew what the right thing to do was. I knew what the way of Jesus is. But actually, like, no one's going to know. I could just lie. I could just say it was me. I mean, Mark Fullerton would have done that. But um, (laughs) I'm teasing, Mark. I know you wouldn't. You're a good man. I could, have just, I could have just filled it in and said it was me. And, and so because unshakable faith feels like friendship, the first thing I did, and actually it starts off by feeling like family, I called my dad. And I said, Dad, I've just made a terrible mistake. And, uh, you know, I got this guy to drive and he's not insured. And so, one, I'm, in, I'm going to be in trouble with my work. And, and, like, I mean, he did a lot of damage to the car. Like, he was showing off somehow. And so... Um, and dad just said to me, I'll never forget, he said, well, you know what you need to do. 
And you know, because unshakable faith feels like friendship, that one sentence was enough to put energy in my tank to say, you know, you're right. I do know the right thing to do because it feels like friendship. But then it has a sound. It sounds like courage. And so I went into the office of my boss, who was a, a Jewish guy, Asher, and I sat with him and I said, Asher, I have just, I've made a terrible mistake. Now, I discovered subsequently that was a good idea because he literally thought I'd murdered someone. So, so when I then said to him, I allowed someone who isn't insured to drive my car yesterday, he literally went, oh, thank goodness. I thought you'd done something really, really bad. But it was interesting because, again, faith has a sound. It's the sound of admitting that you're wrong or what have you. And it's interesting. He said to me, he said, Matt, because he knew I was a Christian, I wouldn't have expected any less of you to be honest about it. So that tells me, so, you know, that is good, but it tells me what if he'd have found out I'd lied and the power of my testimony of that. So then he says to me, he says, okay, well, just fill in the form, be honest about what happened, and we'll just see. We'll just see what happens. And, and so that then puts me into the, it looks like faith. Now I've, got to, I've literally got to fill in this form online that basically says, I have made this terrible mistake, and now I'm utterly ungaunt. Am I going to get in trouble with work? He was going to have my back, but am I going to have to pay what was thousands and thousands of pounds of, of damage? And, and the truth is, wonderfully, I never heard anything again. I never heard anything again. My car got repaired. It, it was kind of all fine. I never heard anything about it again. But it was one of those moments when it would have been so easy to just to lie. It's a little lie. No one's going to know. Now, listen, I'm all for confession, and, I'm all, and I think it's bad to humiliate people. Would you agree it's bad to humiliate people? Do you agree? I, I, it is bad to humiliate. And I don't want anyone to be humiliated people. Or, and, and also, um, I think there's redemption. And I am also aware that when I tell stories, some of you think, I don't think that's true. Well, it is true because it was Phil Judd on the second row. who And, and so, Phil, would you please come up here now? <laughs> Everyone say hi, Phil. So, Hi, everyone. Phil Judd, when, how old were you at the time? Uh, I think I was about 18. Eight, oh, my days. What was I thinking? Uh, but I, ha I, I have a statement to read. I, uh, <laughs> I, I asked Phil's permission if I could tell this story, because I knew he was going to be there. And when he said um, there's an interesting perspective on, on his side of it, I thought, OK, we'll tell it. So, hey, mate, you show your OK, bit. right. So, same story, slightly different angle, OK? <laughs> So I was a teenage college boy. I was uh, just past my test, as Matt said, um, but I was earning £2.91 at weekends per hour working at the Three Moor Hens. So I couldn't afford a car. I could barely afford the bus. So imagine my delight when Matt, my big bro here, had uh, allowed me to drive his car to a youth event. It was a really cool youth event. It was Youth Challenge. I don't think there's anyone here from Youth Challenge back then. Oh, yes, of course. Ellie, hi. Uh, good to see you. Uh, yes, so I was the only one that could drive. And as we've already established, I couldn't drive very well. But uh, yeah, it was a great night. It was a, it was a, a joint service in um, Letchworth. And we had uh, lots of young people coming to Christ. It was just really great. I remember feeling, as we left there, it was just such an awesome night. It was a really special event. And, and then, yes, I did the first drop home, and there may have been a little bit of showing off in, in this thing. But I done the first drop, and I was reversing the car, and yeah, I don't know where this lamppost came from. What, why would there be a lamppost in the middle of a car park? <laughs> Whose idea was that? But I hit it with some speed, and as Matt said, it was definitely a V-shaped car by the end of the day. 
And so imagine that feeling of great celebration and joy suddenly plunged into utter fear. I was scared. What was my big bro who had trusted me with his brand new shiny great car going to think of me? What had I done? How had I allowed this to happen? How was he going to trust me again? And how many hours at £2.91 was it going to take for me <laughs> to pay that back? A lot. I should have told him it cost that money, actually, shouldn't I? <laughs> Did I have faith that it would be okay and that God would fix my mess? Four weeks ago, Matt started talking about unshakable faith. And as I sat there, I had this picture in my head of the words unshakable faith in massive stone letters. And this wrecking ball coming towards them, heavy and determined. And as it hit these letters, it just bounced off. That was unshakable faith. Did I have that kind of faith when things like that happen? Sometimes we have wrecking balls in our life that come for us. Could be physical, mental, spiritual, could be a number of different things. Do we have the faith to actually have that hit us and then just rebound and pick ourselves up and move on? Are there areas in our lives that I need to submit more faith to? There's a scripture, uh, James, James 2.17, talks about faith without works is dead. So what does that mean? Well, it's an action. It's a requirement. It's like a muscle that needs to be exercised. It starts small and we build it. And the more we build, we stand a chance of having that unshakable faith. So if there's areas in your life, like there was mine when I was a teenager, when I was really scared, we have to exercise that faith. So let faith arise today. Brilliant. Thanks, bro. Wonderful. Now, now I share this story and we just unpack it a bit because the truth is when I made the decision in fear and trembling to be real, to be honest, to do what Jesus had wanted, it really could have gone either way, couldn't it? I had to be in that place of God, um, it would be really great if you could fix this money, but even if you don't, I'm going to hold on to you because that's the unshakable faith that God wants to build in us. And, and, and it looks like something. It's, it's obvious. It, it's like, you know, a few months ago, a whole, you know, we, I did a shout out from this stage at the beginning of November. And we said, look, wouldn't it be amazing if we could open up our church from 5.30 to 7.30 every Wednesday to provide food and a warm place and Wi-Fi and some games for anyone in our community who needs that, either because they're lonely or they can't afford to eat or their house isn't warm. And, and amazingly, a whole bunch of about 15 to 20 people in this church leaned in. And we began it in December. And let, you know, let's be honest, when we began it, we had no idea, would anyone even come? And, 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 and how would that look? We could have thought about it for a long time. But in the end, we said, you know what? We're going to do it. We're going to cook meals. We're going to open the building. We're going to show up and we'll see what happens. And we would have loved 50 people to come. We would have definitely loved more than zero. And every week since then, between seven and nine people from our local community have come every single week. It's not as many as we'd like. We'd love more. But seven to nine people are coming because we were willing to put ourselves out there and see what God would do. That's what faith is. You put yourself out. Let me ask you this question that I heard someone say last week. When's the last time you did something for the first time? When's the last time you did something for the first time? Because here, here's the thing. Like, if we are not willing 
to, to step out of our comfort and security and safety and, and step into the realm of faith and trust to get out of the boat, we will never experience the supernatural goodness of God. Because we're just playing it safe. And that's what happens in this story. If you look at verses 24, suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumps in amazement. He exclaims to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Like this incredible moment. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're in the fire. They've, they've literally thrown their lives into a faith step. God, will you come through? And, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar peeks and he finds a fourth person. Now this is what scholars, uh, scholars call a Christophany. Like pretty much all scholars recognize and believe that this person in the furnace is literally a pre-incarnate Jesus himself stepping into the furnace with them. A great reminder for us. If you feel like you're in the furnace right now, I want to say to you, and you've heard it over and over again, God is with you in the furnace. Jesus is with you. He'll never, ever leave you. And, and that... That place of stepping out in faith brings us to this, this fourth point that it tastes like Jesus. Unshakable, multi-sensory faith. It feels like friendship. It sounds like courage. It looks like faith and it tastes like Jesus. Psalm 34 verse 8, David the songwriter says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. When you are willing to take a risk with Jesus, when you're willing to put yourself out there, to run a church at home, to be involved in the warm welcome, to help out in the youth and kids ministry, to say no to something that's going on in your workplace, to speak truthfully when it's easy to lie, when you're willing to care for that person that you feel the Holy Spirit has nudged you, to put an arm around in Sainsbury's or pay for their shopping, when you respond in any moment in faith, you step out into the place of risk and danger and uncertainty and sacrifice. When you do that, you start to see Jesus moving in a way you've never seen before. Tastes like Jesus. The miraculous starts to break in. I, I love um, Amy's story. Some of you will know that Amy, before she and I got married, uh, she worked in a church as the pastor of a church for six years. And it was like another time she can tell you the whole story. It was a tough church to lead. It was going through some terrible times, just horrific times when she joined. It looked like the church was going to close. It was painful, like all manner of stuff. One of the worst church stories I've heard. And, uh, and she was there for six years and God worked through her and changed it and turned it around and she's a gun show she's amazing and I love you I think you're incredible that's it for Amy Woohoo! so um and uh but but she'll tell you and I've got permission to tell her story like there was a particular day when it was tough it was really really tough and like all of us we can get to the end of ourselves and she she prayed out she cried out to God and said God this is hard I want to quit so the only way I'm not going to quit is you either got to send me a dog or send me a husband And uh, the next morning, <laughs> some of you think you know where this is going and you're wrong. The next morning, some friends of hers called her and said, like, Amy, like, we've been praying and God's given us a nudge and we feel like we're going to give you a specific amount of money uh, for you to buy something you need. And she'll say, she said, well, I can't buy a husband. 
and it was exactly the amount of money she needed to buy a dog. And that dog is Zaid. There's a Hebrew name which says, God is my everything. He's my bounty. He's my whole lot. And what she didn't know is that even though God had provided a dog for her, he was cooking her husband in the oven, and soon he was going to be ready. And he was well done, friends. <laughs> Do you see what I did there? Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. But, but, but that tastes like Jesus. Is anyone hearing me today? Like when you are willing to put yourself in a place of risk and pain and hold on to Jesus in the midst of it and cry out to him, it's in that place that you see the goodness of God. It's in the goodness of God. And then finally... Here's how the story ends. Nebuchadnezzar comes as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and he shouts, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. And then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and they saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their head was singed. Their clothes wasn't scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. And Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. There is no other god who can rescue like this god. And so my last point unshakable faith that God wants to build in us today. It feels like friendship. It sounds like courage. It looks like faith as we step out. It tastes like Jesus as we see him move miraculously. And then, and I love this part, it smells like life. It smells like life. And some of us, we feel that we have been locked in the stench of guilt and shame or sadness or depression or anxiety or sickness or whatever. You fill in your blank. We feel like we're immersed in this and this and this morning and this year, I believe that God wants to say, if you would hold on to me, even in that, you can smell like life. You can experience life, life in all its fullness in every single way. You'll come out smelling like life. Ultimately, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were going to die. They did die. They're not in the room. They did die. But they came through death smelling like life. So many of us know men and women, mums and dads, people who've gone, who love Jesus, who've gone ahead. And the moment they died, they stepped into eternity with Jesus, never to be sick again, to cry again, get cancer again, to live with Jesus for all eternity. They fully smelt like life. And so with him, we have the opportunity with life before death and life after it. And that's why Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were so bold. Because they thought, if Jesus, if he rescues us in the flames, we live. If we die, we live. Either way, we live. When you hold on to Jesus in the midst of the storm, it feels like friendship, sounds like courage, it looks like faith, it tastes like Jesus as you see him move in your life, and it smells like life. So I want to pray for us as the, as the team come up. We're going to sing a song, we're going to break bread together. And, uh, and I, I want to take a moment, first of all, to pray for those people who feel like, okay, I, I want life to break out with me today. Life to break out. And so, if that's you, 
uh, right now, whatever you're going through, whatever shaking you're going through, if you feel, I just need more of the life of God, more of the life of God, wherever that is, whether that's healing, God's rescue, uh, whatever it is in these stories that hopefully have inspired us today, that God cares about you and he is at work in you. If, if today you need more of the life of God breaking out before we sing together, why don't you just stand with me right now, if that's you. If you need, come on, once, once someone stands, everyone else will stand. So just do, don't worry about anyone else. If you need, don't stand up because everyone's standing, you stand because you know you need more of the life of God in you. A great or unshakable faith in you. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Come Holy Spirit right now. Come Holy Spirit right now. We thank you God. You did not promise that there would not be furnaces. You did not promise that there would not be storms. You did not promise there wouldn't be suffering and disappointment. But you promised, God, that you love us, that you care for us, that you understand everything we're going through. You promised you are at work even when we sleep. And you promised to give us what we need in the midst of the storm, which is peace and comfort and strength and hope. And you promised that the storm is not our destiny, that you're bringing us through. And so, Lord, I just pray for each and every one of us who are standing in this moment. Lord, as we, as we cry out to you, Lord, we, we need that unshakable faith. And we need a breakout of the life of God in us. We, we want to be in that place, Lord, where we can be honest and say life is hard and disappointing, but God is with me and I really am more than okay. It is well with my soul. I have life, even in the face of death. I'm living my life. I'm living my best life because God is with me and he's for me and he will rescue me. He will rescue me. He will rescue me. And this is the prayer of our hearts. Every single one of us who stand right now, we receive right now the rescue of heaven. Right now, the rescue of heaven. Right now, the rescue of heaven. Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, the rescue of heaven.